<laughs> in my first several hours <laughs> of unemployment, some of the thoughts I had were, mm-hmm. I'm going to learn to twerk. Okay. I'm going to learn to juggle knives. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, you a lot. Yeah, oh. I know. That's just a couple <laughs> of them. Ah. <laughs> Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einolander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello! We are mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today we have Jasmine Gower on with us. Thanks for coming, Jasmine. Yeah, thank you for having me. Corinne, will you please tell us what uh, Jasmine's deal is? Oh, I sure will. Do it. <laughs> okay. Jasmine Gower, author of Moonshine and other queer fantasy works, hails from Portland, Oregon. Jasmine received a Bachelor of Arts in English and a Master of Arts in Book Publishing from Portland State University. Inspired to write by a childhood filled with fantasy novels, 90s videos game, video games, and the curious experience of growing up in the rural Willamette Valley, Jasmine has a passion for exploring themes of gender, sexuality, and disability through the conventions of speculative fiction, mythology, and fantasy world building. Jasmine is represented by Laura Zatz at Red Sofa Literary. Yay. That's a great bio. Did you write Thank that? Thank you. I did write that. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. It's like I love that. Perfect amount of information. It's also like a not not a lot of people are able to represent themselves that well in a bio because either they're like too shy or they overdo it. Yes. It's very hard. That <laughs> yeah. like three sentences probably took me about four hours to write. It's harder to just like slash things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to talk with you about your publishing uh, experience and your writing experience and everything that you've gone through. But first, we have obligations. We do. Indeed. (laughs) And thank Christ. (laughs) Somebody actually pulled through and gave us another review. Mm. We are desperate. Please review us. Please. On iTunes. You know, here's the thing. I don't think a lot of people use iTunes anymore, but for some reason, that's like the standard of review. That's true. I don't know Mm -hmm. why that is, but it's, it's hierarchies. It's capitalism. It's who controls your phone. Yes. It's Apple. It's Apple. (laughs) But we got another review from The Dreaming 1979. I wonder if that is a Kate Bush reference. I wonder too. I hope so. (laughs) The best Kate Bush album. Truly. Definitely the best one. Agreed. So um, shall I try to read this? Yes. (laughs) What 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 should I read it? (laughs) Um... uh, can you do, let's make it sort of easy. Can you just do like a New York accent? No. No? What, what can you do? <laughs> well, maybe let's start like, what, what accents are do you? Do a person. Do it, but do an impression. Do, let's do an impersonation. Maybe that'll oh, help more. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I could do, uh, who, who, has a, who has a New York accent? Uh, like, Leah Remini? Yes, but but see that comes from your cult knowledge. Yes, that's true. That comes that's from true. you like watching Going Clear, and I just read a book. Ah, uh, that's true. Um, who else has a New York accent? Um, oh God. Uh, let's see. Um, why can't I think? Of, why is she the only person I can think okay. of? Like a Queen's accent? Yeah, yeah. This is gonna be. I I used to think I was gonna be an actor. I know. You still could be. Uh. The world's wide open. That's true. Yeah. I am now unemployed, everybody. Yeah. So the world is Woo! my oyster. It's true. My oyster. It's true. Ooh, You're. Nice. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Full of pearls. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or just delicious uh, briny meat. Yes. Either way, <laughs> perhaps both. I can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. it. Um, What? I don't know. You can. What's another accent? Billy Joel. There you go. Billy Joel. Oh, my God. What about insightful, in-depth interviews with (laughs) folks from every part of the industry? No. (laughs) What about about a Southern accent? Can you do that? 
you can do a better one than me. Well, do you want me to do it? Yes, I do. Okay. Can I? So what Corinne do I do? does all of the <laughs> I promised I would do it and then okay. I made Corinne do it. That's okay. how I'm, it's like, I'm the man. It is like you're the man. Oh God. <laughs> this takes me back to Catholic school. All right. Um, I'm very worried about you tipping your stool. Right I am now. too. Okay, hold on. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right. Insightful and funny look at the publishing industry. Interesting in-depth interviews with folks from every part of the industry. Editors, publicists, librarians, booksellers, and authors. <laughs> Both self-published and traditional, the hosts have a wonderful rapport and their passion for the industry comes through loud and clear. Yay! <laughs> that ending wasn't great, but whatever. La- yeah. Loud. Yeah. Loud? Sorry, guys. Who, All right. am, who are we? I don't know. What's happening I think today? we have to work on our branding. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jasmine. We're I usually much no, better great. than this. I think that was yeah. the first time I heard the word editors. Yeah, said in Southern Southern editors. 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 Oh, good. Man. I liked it. They got to have editor, they editors. Got, they sure do have editors down there. <laughs> yeah, in do. Tennessee. In Tennessee. They got editors yep. in Tennessee. Yep. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, that's true. In Tennessee. <laughs> Books ain't going to edit themselves. Mm-mm. Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into this, Jasmine. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for enduring our silliness. Our tomfoolery. Our tomfoolery. Yes. Um, so, Obviously, this question. Obviously. Okay, good. All right. So our icebreaker question is the same as it has been for many, many other guests. Please tell us about your cats. So I've got, I guess I told you earlier that I have three That's cats. That's all you told me is what you had three. So you didn't go into detail, was which was technically is a lie. I technically oh. have zero cats. I oh. have three roommates who each have oh. one cat. Gotcha. Okay. So I get all the benefits of having a cat without paying the vet bills. That's the best which is You're the deal. cat auntie. I am. Yeah. I am. Yes. That's brilliant. Yes. So we've got the three, uh, Tally, Meryl, and Nisha, who are all named after video game characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all spoiled princesses sure. who love to scream. <laughs> <laughs> and they love to steal my food. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I used to be a dog auntie in college. And uh, I had two roommates. Um, one, you know, wasn't in college. And the other one was like a PhD candidate. Mm-hmm. And so one had a deaf boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, like albino boxer who's the coolest dog. His name was Patch. And then um, a Chihuahua Terrier mix named Rosebud. Yes, after the sled. Yeah, the sled and Citizen Mm -hmm. Kane um, because she was uh, a uh, journalist at one time. Uh, So she named it Rosebud. Sure. So after my uh, roommate would go to work in the morning at like 7 a.m., I'd hear on the door and then Rosebud would come and get into the bed with me. <laughs> and adorable. it was college, so I didn't get up to like 930. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, hello, cuddly dog. <laughs> I don't even let Connor do that. Wow. Like, except when JT's out of town. Yeah. But like yeah. it was special. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 do your what do your aunt your niece and nephew cats look like? <laughs> yeah, um, they're all they've all got like brown stripes. Um, they're all a little bit tabby, I think. Not super sure. Mm, uh, okay. But we've got Tally's kind of like a normal sized cat, and then Meryl's the small scrappy one. Um, and then Nisha is just huge. Yes. And, and not like just chubby. She's huge in every dimension. Mm. Um, but the great thing about her is that her meow is very tiny. Oh, oh my God. So she's the she giant. She's, she just went to the vet and was weighed. And she's almost 15 pounds right now. Damn. But when she meows, she's like, <laughs> very tiny so meows. Oh. She's a gentle giant. Yeah. Uh, no, she's very aggressive. <laughs> You're just like, Wrong. she's just quiet. What is it? Uh, speak softly and carry a big stick yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah. As a giant mm-hmm. cat. Sure. That's her, yes. It can be developed. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got it going on. Yeah. yeah. I have a good cat situation. Yeah, <laughs> I would right say now. so. <laughs> All right. So you grew up near Portland in the country, rural Willamette Valley. Yeah. Um, So were you, you, if you were 
close to Portland, did the literary scene there affect you at all? Or was it something that didn't really have any bearing on your bookish younger years? I think that really didn't have much bearing on me because my dad is a huge book nerd. And that's really where I get 90% of my book habits I guess go on go Um, on yeah he he was super still is super into like 90s doorstopper fantasies so that's what I grew up reading what's a 90s doorstopper fantasy like wheel of time have you heard of that series I've heard of it I guess uh song of fire and ice would be an example too he doesn't like that back from back from the 90s yeah that kind of series did they come out in the 90s yeah that series started in the 90s oh wow yeah Long time ago. That's how long we have to wait for each book. (laughs) As JT would say, you're never going to get that book. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Books books in that vein. Uh, Just the huge, like, 800 page long. Did he ever read any of them to you? Uh, He, not those big ones. He tried to read The Hobbit to me when I was little, and I wasn't super into it, like, when I was eight. And then when I was 11, I read it on my own. And that was kind of the point when I was like, I could do this. Like I write it? I could make these. Yeah. <laughs> when you were 11? When I was you were 11, like, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. It was. It was a lot of unearned confidence. <laughs> <laughs> confidence is almost never earned. That's very That's true. true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are plenty of people who like... I would say most of the people who have confidence just have it and that's and then they earn it later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's kind of the my writing situation too. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you were living out there, did you just have a lot of time to read and write and like Yeah, there's not a lot to do out in small town Oregon. Mm-hmm. So, so what kinds of stories were you writing? Like when did you start scribbling them down? Um I guess I was pretty young. I guess, like my parents, I have horrible memory. But my parents talk about when I was like in kindergarten and first grade writing and like binding my own books. Wow. With like broken up pieces of cereal boxes and things like that. Like and, as covers? Yeah. Because they were oh. heavier? Yeah. And then like just drawing like pictures and comics. and. But that's also like content, pointing... But- yeah, pointing toward a publishing career as well. It if is, you're recognizing yes. the different yeah. weights of paper yes. and cover mm-hmm. paper. Did. Formats and trim sizes and, and all stock. that back there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So you've been a writer since uh, apparently kindergarten. When when yeah. do you remember <laughs> writing? <laughs> um well when like when I mentioned reading The Hobbit and deciding I could write a full length novel. That's the first time that I wrote a full-length novel when you were 11 11 yeah so you like read the hobbit went bitch i can do that and then you like went (laughs) wrote a novel it was was a little more patchwork than that kind of start and stop (laughs) um but yeah cool what was it do you remember what it was about or you so i do remember what it was about because i'm still working on it and i was yeah nice no it's terrible (laughs) no but it's nice that you haven't given up yeah (laughs) i was working on it even earlier today um yeah that's the sign of an integrated personality and that is like what people aim for at least that's what I aim for that's the kind of thing they warn you against in writing though but Ah, um, for me I'm like no (laughs) it's a different because my middle school OCs are really really good I'm like (laughs) OCs yeah I mean they're it's not fan fiction but oh okay yeah wait I don't know what that means Oh, original character. Oh, okay. Okay, so Corinne and I are super normie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you're going to have to explain explain. all of your acronyms and all of that kind of stuff to us. That's that's no problem. Okay. But they're... Wow. No, I'm impressed because there's so many... Everything I look at that I wrote when I was younger, even like a few years ago, I'm Mm. just like, no. (laughs) It's still like that for me. I'm on you know, my eighth or ninth draft of this story because what I came up with when I was 11 wasn't great because 11 year olds are not great at writing. Yeah. And not only are you like a different writer, you're probably a different person. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much. Um, so how long have you been a published author? Uh, so my first published short story was in 2014. Um, and then 
I think it's been 2016, 2017, and 2018 were when all of my, um, my two novellas and then Moonshine came out. Yes, except for 2015, I guess, was the year that I skipped. And mm-hmm. 2019 also. I don't have anything coming up yet. Well, and knowing publishing tub- timelines, I'm not going to have anything, even if you know I sell something tomorrow. It's not going to be ready before 20 se- or 2019 is over. Mm. Well, if, uh, you sound patient, especially if you're I, rewriting yeah. something you wrote when you were 11. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to the, the publishing timelines at this point. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're uh, they're difficult for mm-hmm. pretty yes. much everyone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. Let's see. So you live in Portland now, obviously, mm-hmm. pretty much, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, lo- yeah. how long have you lived here? Um, I moved up to Portland when I was eighteen, so I've been up in the Portland metro area since then. So okay. Be okay. About eleven years now. Okay. Okay. All right. So obviously, Portland has changed a lot in the past, like five to ten years. Would you say something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think that uh, the those changes have affected the literary scene here at all, or do you think it's kind of like the same as it's always been? Or I feel like the literary scene has kind of stayed the same okay. throughout all of the changes. I feel like that's been one of the few things that feels kind of constant since I first moved up here. Because you know. Everyone's still really excited about Powell's. Yes, sure. And all that. And right. um, Wordstock or Portland Book Festival, yep. it's called now. Um, but I'm a little sad about that, frankly. That they changed the name. Yeah. 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 I get why they changed it. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's your patience coming out yeah. again. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, Wordstock is a perfect name. It is a perfect name. <laughs> it was really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think more so than the environment of Portland changing the increase of like remote work for publishing has had a bigger impact on the literary scene in Portland. Cause it seems like it's becoming more of a publishing nexus. Yeah. Even though no one's moving here to do publishing. <laughs> right. But because you know, you can just email people back and yeah. forth. Yeah. Sure. Tell, tell me more about what you mean. <laughs> I don't I feel, still feel like all of the publishing professionals like are headquartered in New York at least um or even California increasingly but there's more it seems like there's more positions opening up for like entry level editorial work or marketing work or things like that okay. that's available for remote work all right the unemployed person over here is like, tell me more about where is all this remote work that will let me stay home with my dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's still, I think, not as much as as would be ideal, but it seems like it's better than it's been in the past couple of years. So since you are entering that realm of not just an author, well, I mean, maybe you entered it a while ago and I just don't know it, but you just finished <laughs> your master's in book publishing at yes. Portland State, which is... We kind of knew each other. Yeah, we crossed paths. I remember your face. And that was the thing. I like messaged you. I'm like, why do I remember your face? And you were like, I I watched you humiliate yourself as a digital (laughs) (laughs) manager at at, uh, Ooligan. But um, I was just like remembering. I was telling Corinne. I was like, oh, yeah, she saw me when I was just like improving in front of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Um, but yeah, what, what made you decide to go that route in terms of your skill set and training? Uh, so it was after I published my first novella, uh, For All the Gold in the Vault, through Less Than Three Press, that I kind of had in my experience working with the editors on that. I got very curious about their end of the work that they were doing, uh, mostly because I kind of hate editing my own books. And I was like, this would be better if I was editing other people's books. Um, but that's kind of what got me started on thinking more about pursuing the publishing end of publishing. Um, so that's um, the point when I kind of started looking into going back to school. And PSU, which is where I got my undergrad, had the book publishing program. And I was aware of it as an undergrad, but it wasn't something that I was interested in pursuing then. But... Then I eventually did a couple of years after getting my undergraduate degree. Um, 
did you focus on editing? Because um, I know there's a lot of different things that you can do within the publishing industry. I started thinking that I would focus on editing, um, but then I realized that as an author, marketing was really my weak point. So I'm like, I should get better at this. Good for you. A lot yeah. of people will just air toward their it's, strengths. Yeah. Instead. And yep. marketing is really intimidating work, I think, for a lot of people mm-hmm. because it's kind of boring. <laughs> Yeah, Corinth yeah. in marketing. I am in marketing. And it is, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've dealt with a lot of authors who are just sort of like shy about promoting themselves. Yeah. That's, I feel like the biggest stumbling point kind of is just yeah, like people absolutely. are like, I don't want to tell people that I'm, you know, and I mean, to me, it's like, tell everybody. It's like, this is amazing. You wrote a fucking book, you know, like you'd <laughs> sing it from the mountaintops. Like I would if I wrote a book, but you, you should know. write a book. I should write a book. I'll okay. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you're a better marketer now? I do feel like I'm a better marketer now. I do still suck at promoting my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the things I learned in the program. I'm pretty good at marketing other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like I feel like I would have a lot more fun editing other people's stuff yeah. than my own stuff. But. Do you know what you should be doing, though, as an author? Are you sitting there going, oh, I should be doing this, but I have an emotional block against it? Or I do have, I think, a better sense of that now, kind of what's the, the most practical way for me as an author to go about marketing, mm-hmm. as well as kind of... Uh, I think I have a better sense of what my expectations should be for my publishers in terms of what they'll do mm-hmm. in terms of editing and marketing. And oh, I wish all there of were that. more of you. <laughs> that oh, would be man. so nice. <laughs> we were talking. Um, yeah, we were talking to an author. There's like one author that we had been working with, Corinne mm-hmm. and I, who mm-hmm. just like was doing effortlessly amazing yeah (laughs) yeah we were like how did you sell all these books and he's like oh I just was like contacting people I know Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah they're just buying it yeah 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 I can't Mm -hmm. do that (laughs) he just didn't care he was just like messaging all these people he knew and they were like okay yeah we really like you we'll do it so I don't know (laughs) uh yeah that's yeah, That's I mean, I know I would feel awkward about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Like, mm-hmm. I currently yeah. feel awkward about the podcast doing that. So yeah. I can only imagine, like, if you're, this isn't like, this is just me interviewing other people. Right. Like, if you're right. out there putting your heart and soul into a, a book, that must be a lot more difficult to, like, lay out for everyone. Yeah, it is. Although I, I find that my biggest struggle is just summarizing the things that I write. I don't. I mean, I do still, like, care about what people think of my stuff. And if they don't like it, then I get all sensitive about it. But but I feel like that is less of a problem for me than just when people ask me what my books are about. I'm just like, I don't don't know. What? (laughs) Life? Yeah. It's like, I I wrote it all down. It took me, like, 90,000 words. You want me to summarize that? Yeah, really. Why don't you just buy a copy and read it? (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason it wasn't, like... (laughs) three minute thing <laughs> uh, well so you mentioned your novellas um so you had two novellas and then you had a novel come out last year yes um so the press that did your novellas less than three press just went under yes so what happens now with your novellas so the good thing, I guess, I mean, it's very sad that Less Than Three Press yeah. is closing. Uh, but the good thing about this particular situation is they've been very upfront with their authors and their um, their editors and artists who work for them by contract um, about what's been going on and what's going to be happening next. So it wasn't a big surprise when everything happened. It was a little abrupt, but they, I mean... They were very communicative once once they knew for sure that they weren't going to be able to continue with the press. Um, okay. And they've been very good about making sure that authors the authors still have everything they need, basically, to republish their books elsewhere. Okay. So I've got um, the master files for the ebook and the print mm-hmm. um, and the print cover files, and I have... All of my rights reverted to me, and I'm able to continue to use the covers that they designed for my books. Oh, good. Okay. Published through them and the edits that they did mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So yeah. basically, all I, I have everything I need to just kind of put them back into book form and mm-hmm. put them back out into the world. Okay. Um, so now I'm just figuring out uh, how I want to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. 
would you consider just self-publishing or would you? Yeah, that's that's actually, I think, probably the top of my list. I'm still working with my agent to figure out what... What's the best way to go What's the best option, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's that seems like it's probably the most practical option for them. Hopefully I'll know for sure soon. Um, let's see. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your current publisher, Angry Robot? They define themselves as a go- global imprint and are British-based. How has working with a British publisher been for you as someone living in the U.S.? Um, so it hasn't been, there haven't really been any problems with them being based in Britain. I think about half of their authors are based in the U.S. Oh, okay. And the so other half are based it. in the U.K., yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, aside from like in the early stages of getting Moonshine published, some Skype calls that we had to figure out time zones and all sure. of that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's mostly not been an issue. Um, they did used to have um, their sales and marketing manager, uh, Mike Underwood, who worked for them and he was based in the U S yeah. so we had um at Emerald City Comic Con, there was an Angry Robot booth that he managed. So when he was still at Angry Robot, we were able to, all the Angry Robot authors who were at that convention were mm-hmm. able to like have a home base at the convention to do book signings and things like that. Um, but then once he left Angry Robot, then they didn't have that that U.S. person. Mm, so for okay. the past Emerald City Comic Con, that that option wasn't there. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So that, I guess, is the big drawback. Yeah. Are they going to get somebody new yeah. or are they just kind of like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> Remote work. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you could choose any publisher to publish your work, who would you choose? Like if you have like a dream, publisher. not even like, or like a brand, like a yeah. certain publisher yeah. or kind of like an ideal publisher in terms of like what you know about publishing, not necessarily mm. a named thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned, like learning more about how marketing works uh, at PSU through Ooligan Press and kind of being able to apply that to my own writing career and having worked with smaller presses before, and going back to that thing about me being bad about marketing my own yep. stuff, it's like, I bet having a publisher who's really, really good about putting in the legwork and the money for marketing, mm-hmm. which a lot of small publishers aren't able to do for basic monetary reasons. Um, but having a publisher who could do all that work for me, so I don't have to worry about yeah. any of it. Yeah, That's really interesting. Ideal. Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like one of the biggest embarrassing secrets of publishing Mm -hmm. right now is like people tell you that they that you should do it for you know the prestige the prestige why did I say prestige who am I I don't know you're unemployed (laughs) like I was on uh, when when Jahed came in here I said Patreon instead of Patreon (laughs) and I was like I've never said Patreon before (laughs) but like but also people get into it because people tell them that the marketing is better for traditional publishing. And I don't even know if that's true anymore. It's, I guess yeah. it would have to be like, you'd have to be one of their big ticket authors to get that marketing the, money yeah. is what I hear. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, it's yeah. True. And I understand, like, I think that's a great point for why it would be like your dream. Yeah. Is because that's yeah. what a publisher should, should do. It, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And at this yeah. point, it's kind of just like, Mm-hmm. you know they yeah. give the big advances to the big authors right. they right. give mm-hmm. the uh big marketing budgets to the big authors mm-hmm. and it's sort of a catch-22 of like well they could do it on their own because they're big names but on the right. other hand it, it's not even catch-22 it's like orboros or yeah like yeah it's true yeah well there's just such an expectation these days that authors do the lion's share of marketing themselves right because it's like well you're the ones with the platforms like you know who your audience is you know where they are like you know how to reach them and engage with them and you know how to get them that get them to buy the book which in some respects is true but i mean it's also true that the publisher should take care of a lot of that mm-hmm. yeah We've been working in nonfiction too, so right. I don't know if it's the same with yeah. your genre. Yeah. Is is that was that a part of them when they acquired you? What they told you to do? Like we expect this uh, level of marketing from you, or was that something that they weren't quite as concerned about? There with Angry Robot, there was um, certain things that they were they were pretty clear about. We can't necessarily support 
this aspect of marketing. So that would be something you want to make sure you're on top of kind of thing. Um, the thing that comes to mind immediately was book blurbs. Like they expect authors to get their own book blurbs. Oh, which okay. Is, okay. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty normal. Yeah. But, but then, I've also worked for houses where editors did that. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess and we did depends. that at Uligan also. I actually, at the same time, like I was getting my book blurbs for Moonshine. I was also getting blurbs for, um, I was on the sleeping in my jeans team. Uh, so I was getting blurbs for the, that book as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. I got the, um, I'm going to brag right now, but um, <laughs> siblings and other disappointments. I got the top Nicole Wolverton, mm-hmm. like the biggest blurb there. She had this great book. Um, you should look her up, Nicole Wolverton. Um, it was called The Trajectory of Dreams, and it was the sort of thing where we were all, I don't know if this was the same at Ooligan when in your experience, but we all had to sit around and talk about, like, what does this remind us of? Like We did, yeah, a lot yeah. of that kind of brainstorming thing. Yeah, and so it was a collection of short stories, and it was kind of a dark collection of short stories. Have you read it, Siblings and Others? I haven't read that one. It's pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. I liked working on it, mm-hmm. but um, I had to contact like Dan Kayon, which I went and read later, and now he's kind of big. Um, I know. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's mm-hmm. a Portland author, but yeah. he hadn't released. Ah, um, uh, okay. Yeah. His, his latest book. book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he had a collection of short stories at the time, and he like did message me back and was like, I'm oh. sorry. I'm so busy. I can't do it. Oh. And, now, and then I went and like Ill Will came out like right after it. Yeah. And I yeah. was like... <laughs> but um nicole wolverton wrote this book about like a very strange woman who was like obsessed with astronauts and lived in Mm -hmm. houston Mm -hmm. and like makes sense was obsessed with the way that astronauts sleep and so she'd like break into people's astronauts houses and watch them sleep and like take notes on them and make sure they were sleeping right whoa (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because she'd like it i mean i don't want to reveal everything yes please because there were reasons for it it's a great yeah. book yeah you should read yeah. it but like crazy. anyway what are the differences between um less than three press and angry robot press in your experience uh so less than three press they're both independent presses um but angry robot is owned by an entertainment company oh. um watkins oh. entertainment i think they're also based in the uk british yeah yeah what okay. else do they do I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really only familiar with Angry Robot okay. of their imprints, um, but but they're not owned by you know one of the big five. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're considered like a medium-sized independent press, um, whereas Less Than Three is a pretty standard small press. Uh, so one of the big differences that I've noticed working with them um, is, I mean, it's all kind of boring back on stuff like distribution is one of the big things, like my less than three press books. Um, they're not in Powell's or Barnes and Noble or things in, like that. Uh, but Angry Robot is distributed in the U.S. through Penguin Random House. So Moonshine's in bookstores. If it's a bookstore, Moonshine can be there. Um, so that's obvious. that obviously has a huge effect on, on how the books reach people. Um, and then it's also... Um, comes up with advances and royalties and things like that um, because less than three press is so small they can't afford to pay advances on the books they acquire but they do pay um, to make up for that they do pay pretty handsome royalties so it was just um, a higher percentage yeah so for moonshine i get i believe it's 12 percent royalties on that is it paperback um, or hardback or what um i think it? it's i can't remember off the top of my head it might be a different percentage for ebooks but um I believe it is 12% for the paperback for Moonshine. And then for my less than three press books, it's 40% regardless of format through a third-party vendor and 45% uh, directly from less than three press. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. It's a really good rate. Yeah. But I don't get them to. Yeah. I don't get the wider distribution and I don't get the advance. So in the long run, I I make more from Moonshine Mm -hmm. because they gave me a stack of money up front. Right. So your agent is one of my favorite podcasters. She is excellent. (laughs) So great. Um, So yeah. Anyway, I'm going to try not to fangirl out and just kind of like (laughs) gloss over that and say Laura's great. Um, Hello, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) 
So did she just Agent Moonshine or was it um, was she there for your novellas? Like when did she enter your life? How did you come to get an agent and what role did they play? So it's kind of a funny story. I mean, it's not a hilarious story, but it's a pretty atypical kind of story for, <laughs> yeah. for getting an agent. Um, so with Moonshine, um, it was actually acquired by Angry Robot through DV Pit. Um, I don't know what that is. So it's a Twitter pitch contest um, for for diverse voices. So um, I had already been querying Moonshine a little bit at that point, but I heard about this Twitter pitch contest. It was the first time that it had been run. Um, And I was like, well, I'm queer and disabled, and I wrote a book that has (laughs) stuff about that in it, and I want it to connect with industry professionals who care about that kind of thing. Uh, so I just kind of tried my hand at DV Pit, and that's how um, I touched base with Mike Underwood when he worked at Angry Robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me to submit a query to them, and then that turned into the partial and then the full. And um, they had the full for a while, and I kind of <laughs> forgot, actually. that The, the full manuscript? The full manuscript, okay. yeah, that they um, were still considering it. So at a certain point, I was like, I think before I go back into querying this, I'm going to revise a part of it. Did you forget just because you were busy with grad school or? I think so, I guess. <laughs> it's no big deal. I had also, there had also been some, um, some other agents who had had it for a while and I'd heard back from them and I okay. kind of thought that was like the end of who still had it. Mm, and I okay. entirely misjudged, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I started revising it and then of course I hear back from Mike and he's like, is this still available? We want to make an <laughs> offer on it. Cool. Um, yeah. So yeah. So Terrible timing for my revision, but it worked out pretty well for me in the end. So you're completely yeah. unagented. When... And I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah, have an agent okay. when they made that offer. Oh, okay. Um, but Mike himself is an author, so he was very helpful in recommending me agents that Angry Robot had worked with before. So he gave me a short list of agents that he really liked. Um, so I took some time to take a look at them, see which ones seemed like they would be good fits for Moonshine and for my writing career. And one of them was Laura. So oh, okay, yep. So then, from that point, it was basically a standard query process. But I was able to put, you know, offer in hand in the header, mm-hmm. and that does wonders for getting I, agents I, to respond I, to you. I would imagine yeah. so. <laughs> they're they're much quicker to respond uh-huh. when they see yeah, those words. I would think so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it it worked out well. She got back to me quickly and she was very excited about the project. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to help me negotiate my contract with Angry Robot, which worked out really well. Good. Yeah. Good. I I always worry about authors who do it without an agent. It's yeah, it's <laughs> it's scary and intimidating. And it's like it, before before I signed on with Laura and they had um, the proposed contract sent to me, is like I don't really know. Yeah, what you're like, right, is this right. good? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and I would imagine too, like your excitement just takes over too, and you're like, oh yeah. my god, like somebody's gonna publish my book. Holy yeah. shit! And then it's like you don't think about it like, the minutia of it and stuff. Hinder and, your yeah. you know decision makings right. and ability to read legalese and all that. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's also cool on Angry Robots part that they like hooked you up with an agent before they yes. like yes. tried to because, accept yeah. the manuscript. Yeah, a publisher yeah. could really take advantage of that kind of thing, but they were. So let's talk about your writing. In your All books. right. All right. So in your bio, you talked about exploring gender, sexuality, and disability. Um, how do you do that? Like um, for people who have not read your books? Um. I don't know. It comes pretty naturally to me, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really worry too much about, I mean, like I try to be cognizant of how the identities of the characters I'm writing about read and how they could affect people reading them. But I don't like worry too much about like, do I have enough queer representation in this story? Because I I always do it. (laughs) When was the last time I wrote a straight character? (laughs) I don't really have to worry about it. It's just, it doesn't occur to me. I I mean, so, so when I did see that, like normally I wouldn't ask about that if I were like reading that in someone's writing, Mm -hmm. I would just say, okay, well, this is their life. This is what they're writing about. But because you put it in your bio, I wondered if it was important to you, if there was a message you were trying to get out with it. Yeah, I mean, it is important to me because, like I said, I'm a queer and disabled person. So this is kind of like 
just how I experience the world generally is most of the people I know are also queer and disabled. So that's that affects the relationships I have with people and like the decisions we make about our lives and things like that. Um, and that can come as a surprise to some people who don't have that experience in their lives. Right. Um, I've had some confused responses to some of the things in my books before, but um I guess I haven't gotten to anything confusing in your book yet. Or maybe that's just <laughs> I, me and I my don't, experience. <laughs> yeah. I don't get those responses a lot, but um, sometimes it comes up with like um, in Moonshine, there's a character named Vix who's gender fluid. And sometimes people's responses, they think that she's a, like a cisgender crossdresser, but it's like, no, she's, she's gender fluid. Um, and I thought I made that pretty clear I thought in how I, wrote, mm -hmm. how I wrote Vix, but that's not always how people read that character because mm -hmm. usually I think it's just because they don't know a lot about what gender fluidity is. Yeah. Right. So sure. they kind of project what information they do have onto this character whose situation they don't necessarily understand. Right. Um, but I also tried not to spend a lot of time handholding that concept. Cause it's not for, the point of the story. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, this isn't really a story to teach Mm -hmm. cisgender people about gender fluid people it's just a fantasy story that has yeah. a gender fluid character in it so. yeah because there are like characters in our lives that we don't necessarily like question because mm -hmm. they're just there and part of the story like mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so why should you like have a lecture about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Do you have, so you were saying that, you know, a lot of people who are going through similar experiences. Are they authors? Mm -hmm. Are they writers? Yeah, I do know a lot of other queer and disabled writers, mm -hmm. um, less than three press because they're, um, a queer romance press, right? Like all, all of their authors are queer. Um, and they, um, that press specifically really focused a lot of attention on stories outside of the mold of just two cisgender gay men in a romance, because a lot of times queer romance publishers, that's really their big, big focus. Right. Oh, okay. And they mm -hmm. might have like a small lesbian imprint with a couple stories in it mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but Less Than Three Press was really, they paid a lot of attention to trans stories and bisexual stories and asexual stories. They really mm -hmm. kind of included the whole rainbow right. in, mm -hmm. in their catalog. Um, so I've gotten to know a lot of really great authors through that um, who feel a lot less represented by um, mainstream, I guess, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. queer romance publishing. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a great community there. Do you listen to um, un the Unlikable Women podcast at all? I don't. I've heard of it, but I haven't listened to it They just had before. a, they had a pride episode where they, there's several bisexual women mm -hmm. who are part of that. And they were talking about how the Lambda literary literary awards had like gay or lesbian and nothing else. Yeah. Like there was no like queer spectrum to it. And yeah. I didn't know that. Like, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that that's like kind of the, I, I am a cis straight person. So like, right. so I'm just like, Oh, well, to us, that's like, okay, well, this is the award for like gender diversity. I guess not. Like, yeah. we didn't, yeah, I had yeah. no idea until I listened to that 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 was like such a, that there was that kind of categorization, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's strange the intersection of publishing and queer communities, um, just because queer communities have had such evolving language over the entirety of the U.S.'s history. Um, and it's really evolved rapidly since the advent of the internet um, and communities kind of breaking up and splitting apart based off of their specific needs compared to what communities have historically been served by society for what little queer communities have been served by society. Um, and publishing, which is about books and words and all that, is um, it's an unusual kind of uh, situation for them to keep up with the language changes that are happening in different communities, um, different intersections of communities come up with different words and terminology and lingo and all of that. And it's a lot to keep up with. Well, and then all you have to see is like people freaking out about they, them. Yeah. 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 And then mm -hmm. it's when like people pretend to care about grammar once, once trans people 
come up with their own language for things. I'm like, okay. Well, and I feel like if grammar is the only thing you care about, you're doing it wrong. It's it's not great priorities. I mean, A, that's not how grammar works. And B, that's terrible priorities. Yeah. (laughs) C, language is made up so you can just change it Mm -hmm. to deal with like what exists. And if you're like creating what exists into the categories you already have, then that's very unimaginative and unaccepting. Yeah. Um, Editors. Yeah. (laughs) I sympathize with editors, but I feel like it you can you can become very confined in in that space. Yeah, there's I mean the key with language is you want to be concise and specific, but also understood by the people that you're talking to mm-hmm. and when when it's situations of like really specific communities coming up with their own really specific language. It's like, well, how can we be accurate but also use words that people actually know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Moonshine? Okay, so here's the part where I get to explain my own book. (laughs) I know, we've been building up to it this whole time, but I imagine since... (laughs) Well, maybe you can help me out a little bit since you said you've been... I'm about 50% through, so... yeah. So you you know the basic premise, at least. Um, But the basic premise is um, it is a fantasy uh, kind of magical prohibition story um, about a young woman named Daisy Dell who secretly does magic in her society that magic is illegal um, but she kind of does a an obscure form of magic that can kind of she kind of has a loophole around that illegality um, but she still keeps it under wrapping under wraps and keeps it secret uh, as she starts her new job in this office um, where she thinks she's just doing basic secretarial work Uh, But then strange things start happening and she's getting kind of suspicious of her boss. And that's as far as I'll go without spoiling. So it's a little (laughs) bit like Thoroughly Modern Millie. It is a little bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thoroughly Modern Millie meets like, I don't know. So there's practical magic Mm -hmm. and then there's like esoteric magic. And she's more of a practical magic person Mm -hmm. and everyone else around her is more of an esoteric magic person. That's how I saw it. Yeah. But that's like me based on my weird reading that I do by myself. (laughs) 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 I don't know what you do. Where did you get it? Like what what got you into magic or those kinds of um, your fantasy reading, obviously. But this seems a little bit more like steampunk sort of. It is a little bit because. I mean, I guess the 20s aren't being steampunk but i mean there is at is it ash punk i guess okay that's what we're calling it it now uh, moonshine is ash punk not it is um (laughs) like secondary fantasy so it's technically high fantasy if you're using that definition of high fantasy being set somewhere other than earth um so it's not earth it's not earth okay yeah it's its own world um but it is based off the 1920s so it's very familiar I think as like an earth-like setting um, aside from the magic and the ogres and things like that Um, but it is its own universe there's I didn't get too much into the world building and it's on the side of a volcano yes Um, it's set in a country that was uh, destroyed a couple hundred years before by a volcano Uh, so the land is still recovering from that and because of that the land is very cheap so a lot of people who are fleeing wars or fascism or problems across this fantasy globe are coming to this country um, because the land is cheap (laughs) and starting their own new society. So there's a lot of themes of kind of um, the idea of progress in society um, because magic is forbidden in in this new country that sees itself as being very modern. Um, And Daisy sees herself as a modern girl, which is basically a flapper. Um, But she also practices this old fashioned magic. So she kind of contends with her ideals there as like a young feminist with her own job and pays her own rent, but also does this old fashioned magic that is kind of blamed for society. It's ills and is considered um, too traditional and something that society needs to move on from. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the big themes of that story. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good book. I'm having a great time and I'll be continuing to read it. But uh, 
What are you reading right now? I am reading, I'm actually rereading um, a series that I read in high school. Um, it's by Mercedes Lackey and James Mallory called The Obsidian Trilogy. So I'm just, I just started the first book again, um, The Outstretched Shadow. Um, but that's kind of one of those, it's kind of in the vein of those 90s doorstopper fantasies that I mentioned. Um, but it's a little newer than that. It's from like the early 2000s, I think. Um, so it still kind of has that vibe of fun fantasy adventure, but without as much gratuitous sexual violence, which I like. That was yeah. a, that was the thing that really kind of killed my interest in 90s fantasy. Well, and that was like, I, I remember my my cousin who was like a dude was super yeah. into that. And like he was a and d guy and he just had like an entire shelf full of doorstopper fantasy and it all yeah. just all the covers were like tits it, it had, <laughs> 90s fantasy had some gender problems yeah <laughs> um but this series has not as much of that um it's a little more emerging a little more progressive in its portrayals of women so I know that you just graduated from the PSU program. Was that kind of a, is this a, is this a comfort read? Like to it, kind of I like guess decompress? It might be. Yeah. I, I didn't read a lot of fantasy while I was in grad school because I was mostly reading things that I needed to read for class yeah. and for my work at Ooligan. So um, that was more focused on um, nonfiction and young adults, like mm. contemporary young adult. Um, so it's nice to get more back into fantasy because that's really my bread and butter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, before we ask Corinne what she's reading, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious to know what you would like to, I know that you're interested in marketing for your own authorial purposes, but like if you could do something in the publishing realm as a job, like is that something that you're interested in, um, in traditional publishing? That might be I'm still kind of trying to figure out what my my career options are in terms of that um mm -hmm. but I did like developmental editing a lot when I did that at Ooligan um and that is something that I have to do all the time anyways mm -hmm. for my own books so I feel like I would really enjoy working on that with another author if I had an opportunity for it mm -hmm. Have you ever have you ever done even kind of smaller scale developmental projects with an author other than in your class? Not really, actually. I don't do a lot of like um, critique critique partner kind of things with other authors, um, and that's something that I would like to change, probably. Cool, but. Yeah. I mean, if I can have an opportunity to get paid for doing yeah. that, it's also <laughs> the dream. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, Corinne. Yes, books. You want to hear what I'm reading? Tell me. Well, okay. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just finished Bad Blood. Yeah, uh, which I enjoyed very much. Although I will say, I feel like most of the action took place like 25. percent You know what I mean? Like at the end of the book, kind of. I don't that was know. All the there's a lot of like leading up to like this guy did this and this guy went, and there was a lot. Obviously, there was a lot involved. In, you know, Theranos getting off the ground and, you know, her lying to everyone. And I get that. But it was just like, I just really wanted to read about the takedown. Like, that's what I was there for. I was just like, I just want to see them nailed. Taken down so. by, like, a recent college undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. I just love the idea of, like, Henry Kissinger getting oh fucked over. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was truly. like well, that, that made not, me like her. I know. Me too. Oh, my God. Like, get him. That was incredible. Agreed. Yeah. No, but I thought overall it was really great, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and now I'm reading this book called The Call of the Weird by Louis Thoreau, who is like a documentarian. His dad is Paul Thoreau, the, the writer. I've heard of Paul Thoreau. Yeah, he's yeah. like a British writer. So his son actually I, – I, okay, full disclosure, I know him because he did a documentary about Scientology. So yes. that was why I knew who he, who he was. You never let me down. No, I know. No, it's, I work so hard not to. Um, but uh, the book is about, I think the subtitle is something about like travels and America's like weird subcultures. So in one, it's, you know, yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it's like traveling around America and talking to like people who like, you know, are UFO hunters and like that kind of stuff. Oh my God, yeah. that sounds amazing. He does do uh, 
a couple chapters with these white supremacists, though, no. that I could do without. I think this was published before it became like, you know, before, <laughs> before we had Nazis a, again. A serious, I mean, they've always been. I know, but you but know like what before I mean. it before became a serious, like, mainstream threat. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it was more of a curiosity back then. But it's like, do you remember? I remember reading about this many years ago, but there's like this singing group of these two girls who were like, you know, blonde hair and blue eyed and whatever. And their names were like Lynx and something. And I can't remember the name of their band, but they just sung like Nazi songs or Aryan what? songs. I don't know. Anyway, but they had some like recording deal. Oh, Prussian Blue. That was the name of it. Prussian Blue. That was the name of their band. So anyway, I have not gotten to this chapter like yet. Cat, like the Russian yeah. Blue Cat. Yeah, but yeah. It's Prussian but it's Blue Prussian because they're blue. Nazis. I guess. I don't know. I haven't gotten what? to this chapter Let's yet. Let's burn the world down. I know, I'm done. I I'm still I'm still reading the <laughs> like alien convention, UFO hunter, which are See, like that's fun. they're endearing yeah. and charming. And I'm like, I love this. Oh, wait a minute. No, now I'm actually in the porn chapter. So they're talking to like a guy who used to be a porn. That's star. also adorable it's, and endearing. It is. And, charming. and that's fine. So I feel like I might skip the chapter with the white supremacists don't, since we're living it. that right now. I know that's kind of what I feel like anyway. Yeah. So but otherwise I'm really enjoying the book. So that's what I'm reading. What are you reading? I'm reading Moonshine. Oh, that's right. <laughs> also, I but am... But you must be reading something else. Uh, I've met you. I know how this goes. I've started reading Freedom is a Constant Struggle, which is um, just conversations with Angela Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, global Palestine solidarity oh, okay. struggle stuff. It was written in... Um, or it was published in 2016, so there's a lot about Ferguson. Oh, sure. Like that. Yeah. So yeah. that... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, some really filthy romance stuff that nice. I just like. It's not for research. Okay. Well, that's fine. Nice. nice. Yeah. I yeah. have needs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yes, I am reading more than one book. Okay. I knew you mm-hmm. were. Yours is the best, though. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I mean, there's Angela Davis, but that's a completely different thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jasmine, do you have anything you would like to plug in addition to yes. your book, your book, plug your book again. Yes. Plug all of your books again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so Moonshine is, again, you can get that pretty much anywhere that sells books, ideally. Um, for my less than three press books, I don't actually know if they're still available at this point. Um, but I have a website, jasminegower.com. Um, so I will update on uh, the state of those books once I know for sure what that will be. Um, and I will also be at Dublin Worldcon in oh, cool. the middle of August. I don't remember the Dublin, exact Dublin, Ireland? Dublin, Ireland, <gasps> yeah. Awesome. Um, and I just got confirmation for what panels I'll be on. Um, and I don't remember what they are off the top of my head. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, one of them is making a sec. I don't know. It's about asexuality um, and aromanticism in fiction. And then the other one is gender and the writer. Um, and again, the dates and information for all that is on my website, jasminegower.com. Uh, we'll so. link it in the show yeah. notes. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be there for Worldcon. That's cool. Have you ever been to Ireland? I haven't been to Ireland. Mm-hmm. I've been to the UK, no, but not mm-hmm. Ireland. Where in the UK? Uh, London, Edinburgh, and oh, Cardiff. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. I went to Edinburgh and Inverness. Nice. Yeah. That's it though. You lived in London. I did. <laughs> I did live there. I mean, it was like college, study abroad, whatever. Right. So it was for like four, four months. But still, I did live there. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I was trying to brush that off. And people were like, you lived in London. I'm like, Pfft. but I did. <laughs> it's true that I did. <laughs> so anyway, but I went to Edinburgh too. It was lovely. And I went to Cornwall when I lived there, mostly because nice. this is creepy, but I'll tell you, Tori Amos lives in Cornwall. I wasn't going to like stalk creepy. her, but I was like, hey, maybe she'll be around somewhere and I could like bump into her and say, hey, I love your music. But I didn't see her, so you'll meet her someday. Maybe someday. I dude, she's touring next year, and you better fucking believe I'm going to the meet and greet for that. I'll so come with you. Yeah. Oh my god, you should. Yeah. Okay. Your life will never be the same. Well, I mean, like if you need someone to come up and be okay. like embarrassing for oh, you. Oh god, yeah. I have no stakes. I'll okay. Do it. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I'll be like, this is my friend. She wants to meet. She loves you so much. <laughs> I'll be that girl. Okay. Thank you. All right. I'll take you up on that. Jasmine, do you have like a Twitter or any other? I do have a Twitter. Um. It's at J-A-S underscore Gower. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your journey with publishing and with authoring. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. 
and everyone. Um, you can follow us on Twitter yes. at Hybrid Pub Scout on Facebook. Hybrid Pub Scout. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram. Instagram, Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Yes. And then come to our website and uh, get on our newsletter. Yes, please. Yeah. Corinne's going to start blogging again. Yes, I am. She is going to be a misanthrope like she usually is. <laughs> but also... I'm like a lovable misanthrope though, right? Oh, I love you okay, so much. Good, good, but okay. also she's going to start giving marketing advice. <laughs> oh, that's true. Because, I am. Because that is yeah. valuable, right, Jasmine? It is, right? yes. Yeah. People would be into that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I could do okay. some more, honestly. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Corinne yeah. has so much yeah. to offer. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I was... Oh, and please uh, leave us a review on yes. iTunes, please. Yes. And I'm not promising any readings anymore. <laughs> Corinne's going to do all of them. I'll do them all. I don't yeah, care. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whoever. We're going to flip a coin and yeah. I'll just say, okay, sure. I'll <laughs> just read this however we want. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yes, please. Um, thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs>